What can students do to be more mindful of the choices they make on a daily basis so as to contribute to their long-term success? How do you incorporate deep work into your life to harness the combination of productivity and creativity? How can students cultivate mindful awareness to better navigate stress and prevent burnout? Health, mindset, productivity, deep work, the list goes on. These were just some of the topics we had a fascinating conversation about with George Curran, who is passionate about sharing health, promoting protocols to fuel better well-being and daily performance for everyone. While balancing his role in product management at NYBL, he also dedicates his energy towards writing content through his newsletter called Thrive Everywhere. George has an inspiring mission to help as many individuals champion a healthy and happy lifestyle. We dived into the idea of popcorn brain, simple yet impactful techniques to regain laser focus when jumping into deep work, how to build and leverage a healthy mindset daily, navigate life through conscious decision-making, the importance of self-reflection, and understanding the seven types of rest we can all enable in our lives. You're listening to the Brightness Unleashed podcast. Enjoy. Hey, George. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Brightness Unleashed podcast. We very much appreciate it. And let's dive right into the first question, which is all about focus and the popcorn brain. So a common issue, I think, that a lot of students and generally people face is the inability to stay focused on a given task and remain in the present. And I think this is mainly due to the fact that technology is ever growing and ever evolving and that there there is a proportionate relationship with technology growing. And that is the fact that our attention span is rapidly declining. And I did a bit of research and I found that on average, the human adult has only around an 8.25 seconds attention span, which is quite short. So you recently actually wrote um, about a topic around this area of focus, specifically looking at the popcorn brain. And so I thought it would be great if you can explain to us what the popcorn brain is and then what students can do to take back their focus um, and be more mindful and present of the moment that they're in. Yeah, so the popcorn brain is a metaphor used to explain the biological effect of what is happening to the modern brain that spends too much time online. Um, so just like imagine a bag of popcorn in the microwave and with each popping corn, um, each popping corn is like a new notification on your phone, a new text message, a new Instagram story, a new browser, a new app that keeps happening over and over and over again. And our thoughts are all over the place when this is happening. And, and the impact of this frequent context switching is very profound. Um, in a negative way, it can lead to uh, increased mental fatigue, anxiety, restlessness, dissatisfaction. And this, this context switching can also significantly hamper our productivity and cognitive performance. So every time we switch tasks, our brain requires you know, a moment to recalibrate um, and that leads to also a higher chance of us making a mistake because our brains weren't designed to, for like this rapid, continuous toggling between things and jumping around from one thing to the next. They really do perform best when, when we're focused on a single thing, on a single task, um, like hunting or farming from the past. So there's, a, there's this cognitive cost to shifting our attention constantly from one thing to the next and there's this this residue there's a concept called attention residue right that that remains in our brain um when when we're you know when we jump from the one thing to the next and and that could really hamper our performance on that new task so the way i see it is if we rarely go more than five minutes or two minutes without checking you know our phone uh, we've effectively put ourselves in, in this constant state of self, like a self-imposed disadvantage, right? And the average person checks their phone, um, and I wrote about it also in the same post, uh, checks their phone or touches, swipes, interacts with it more than 2,500 times a day, which is just, you know, crazy, right? Um, I don't know the source of that data. But trust me, you know, I've, I've gone around, I've, 
I've, I've gathered some anecdotal evidence. I've asked family members, I've asked friends, and I, I, I just grab their phone away and I just open the screen time and check. Uh, and it's always been over five hours. I'm curious to know what, what your numbers are and if you do track it. I think five hours is, yeah, I think five hours is roughly around very similar. That That is the benchmark. And then from there, it varies. I, and I think I've seen, I've seen about 10 hours, you know? Yeah. I mean, wow. You're, you're awake for 14 <laughs> and 10 of them, you're glued oh, to your phone. It's terrible. It's, it's, it's pretty maddening, it's right? So popcorn brain is a real thing. And and to really combat it, right, there's two approaches we can take. I think the simple, the simple one is just to be more offline, uh, find ways to, to not be online. And the second one is how we manage the distractions when we're online, right? Um, and I think step zero, if we're going to take a step back, actually, is tracking. So knowing these, va- these values, these numbers, you know, this old saying, like what gets measured gets managed. So just having that mindful awareness of what is stealing our attention um, has got to be the first step, in my opinion. You know, it's much easier to live on autopilot and like get sucked into all these distractions. Um, and by knowing what is stealing that attention, I think we can we can start to build um, strategies or you know um, follow some tips to to better manage it. So when it, when it comes to going offline. I think let's start there. I like to, you know, dedicate some some tech-free time slots into my day. And those could like a bookend of the day I think is good so you can wake up and and you know tell yourself I'm not going to check my phone for the first 30 minutes. And you can't always rely on willpower, you know, just willpower. So maybe, you know, do something, meditate, go for a walk, uh, and leave your phone on the charge or in a different room. And you can do that also at night, have a wind down routine that doesn't require your phone. So you, so you bookend your day with these tech free time slots. You can also do it over like a, your lunch break, um, leave your phone in the office, go for a walk, something like that. Um, another thing you can do when it comes to uh, the offline strategy is to also define tech free boundaries within your house or office. Whether that's like the bed or the couch, the bathroom is a good one. Uh, so I, I banned my phone in the bathroom and I noticed that I'm reading so much more now. Like I can, I take my Kindle with me to the bathroom. I mean, everyone uses their phone in the bathroom now, everyone. <laughs> um, so I think that's just a simple way to, you know, reduce that screen time and that popcorn brain. Even if you're using your phone to read, right? You're going to get a notification. You're going to be tempted buy it to switch again from one thing to the next so just banning it is is, is the simplest way um offline strategies mindfulness practice i think what i've seen um is when you do when you do practice like when you meditate and and do it consistently you really reduce this compulsion to constantly you know seek out new information and you're more content just sitting there um waiting being bored or like waiting for something um, the more i practice the more content i am being bored and um, i think that really helps um, another offline one could be exercise i know many people take their phones with them and, and i see people at the gym you know scrolling through instagram while lifting weights um, my advice would be to just you know use that time to train both your body and brain um, I think it's a nice way to look at it, you know, just it's 30 minutes, it's one hour. So might as well just train both at the same time. And, um, the last one I would say is maybe practice a hobby. Um, when you're doing a hobby, you're going to enter the flow state, um, whether it's a creative outlet, like, you know, making art or even playing a team sport or something, you're not going to have your phone. So you're, you're, you're essentially mitigating some of the effects of the popcorn brain. Now, when it comes to the online strategy, then you got to manage your notifications. I mean, I see so many people download apps and just by default, click on allow notifications. Um, it's such a simple thing to do. Just click on the button above. Uh, don't allow any notifications. If, if it's something 
that is very important, you can always go back and allow it. So I think by default, everyone should just stop allowing all these notifications. We don't care what happened in like that app and why they're trying. They're always trying to push things at you. So just being mindful about that is, is very important. I, I love that, George. And I remember you talked about uh, this, this post on LinkedIn and those strategies was so good because you're absolutely right. With the, phone, the phone usage is so high and it's because everything we do now revolves around our phone. Um, and I, I really like that point of triggers and being able to identify what are the triggers that are leading to me getting distracted using my phone um, because that's a great starting point to then be like, okay, if I keep my phone near in my room in my bedroom for example and the first thing i do is get up and use my phone well that's the first trigger the fact that the phone is right next to me and then you eliminate from there so i love that process and i also love the idea of creating uh, or being more aware of being more mindful of your of your environment and what you're exactly doing i think mindfulness is a great practice through things like meditation and I recently wrote something on LinkedIn on this Dutch idea of Nixon. I don't know if you've heard of it before, but it's the art of doing nothing where you do something that constitutes the idea of nothing and nothing means something without outcome, something without purpose and something without technology. I think that's a great way to practice mindfulness and it just allows you, that's, that's probably the best place to actually come up with ideas, think a little bit outside the box and then allows yourself to come back to whatever task you're working on, whatever project you might have, and to solve the problem at hand. So your creativity is boosted. But I think what you presented there is a really nice way, super simple five steps or five things that you could consider um, doing. And I like the one on hobby as well. I think hobbies are super, super important because as you said, the flow state is so important to enter. And once you enter it, it's very difficult to get out of it unless, of course, you're doing uh, you're you're practicing your hobby in the wrong environment. So environment's very important. But if you get the environment right and you're doing your hobby, it's very hard to get put off course and you enter the flow state and you don't even think about your phone. So I would highly recommend going and checking out George's post on LinkedIn. I think that will very much help our listeners solidify that concept. But I'll move on to the second question, which talks about peak performance. So I think peak performance or high performance, I think a lot of people know that one of the significant contributors to peak performance and adequate health is good diet and good exercise routine. And if you can do it frequently, that's great. And usually high performance is always associated with athletes for some reason. I don't know why, but a lot of people think when you hear the word high performance, you immediately think of like Michael B. Jordan, sorry, not Michael B. Jordan, Michael Jordan, um, or any other great athlete out there. And so I think what many people lack though is they lack the understanding or their brain somehow convinces them that um, this type of high performance is only exclusive to the physical side of things. And it doesn't actually encompass, you know, the mental optimization of the mind when in reality, that's, that's also part of it as well. So I was curious, you know, from your experience, can you share how students can prioritize the healthiness of their mind? Um, so you can walk us through some specific tips on building a healthy mindset and how can they maintain this consistently being a student? Yeah, sure. Um, I'd like to first take maybe a step back because when we think of health, the first thing that always comes to mind is, you know, exercise and nutrition. You know, what are we eating and whether we're exercising enough. Um, but health is much more holistic than that. You know, and, and what you bring up, uh, Naren, like when it comes to the, the, the healthy mindset and like mental and emotional well-being is also another big aspect of it. But there's even more than that to it, right? Um, so I'd, I'd love for students to, you know, I wish I knew that back when I was in university. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love for students to, to really, well, first, prioritize their health. But for them to do that, they need to understand, you know, the different aspects of life that tie into their health. Um, so I'd like to start there and just by listing them, you know, very quickly before we jump into the mental side of things. Um, I think sleep is extremely important and students tend to neglect it. Um, they think, okay, I'm going to put in more hours, especially top achievers, right? They're going to put in more hours at night um, just to get ahead and study and to, get, to do well in school. But I mean, you don't want to sacrifice your sleep, um, or rest. 
the second thing is physical environment. You know, having just like a cluttery, messy desk in front of you, uh, being in a noisy environment. Uh, I last year I lived in a I lived in a flat that was full of mold, and I'm still struggling with uh, with health issues from from that six month period that I was there in. So physical envir- environment is also very very important for your health. Mm, so the the physical aspect we all know about exercise, uh, nutrition as well. Um, mindful awareness. We we briefly touched upon it in, in the pre- on the previous question. Um, I think it starts there, right? So knowing, you know, knowing about these aspects of your health and and knowing how it's impacting you is is step zero. Uh, fulfillment and purpose. You know, you don't want to be living in autopilot and not knowing, uh, you know, if what you're doing really matters. I think it's very important for students to also, you know, feel that they're there for a reason. Like they're, they're, you know, they're, they're in uni because they have, you know, some goals they want to achieve in the future. Um, and then f- uh, community, right? Um, I, I, I always, you know, give advice, uh, especially students. You know, you, the, when I was a student, I know I. Um, I was in many toxic relationships. Um, I had friends who are no longer friends and who I shouldn't have been friends with. I think you, you really need to surround yourself with, with people who inspire you, motivate you, uh, who bring, bring about, you know, positive influences to your life rather than, uh, people who want to drag you down. And, uh, yeah, we can now, I think, jump into the mental, um, the mental aspect of, of the health, uh, like this is the, I'm doing some training right now at Duke Health, and this is what they call the health wheel, and these are the elements I just listed from it. So the mental, mental and emotional well-being um, is the aspect that really helps you um, adapt to, to the stress of everyday life, and and also helps you realize your your full potential. Um, so specific tips, um, there's, there's really um, a wonderful book that I'm going to recommend here called Hidden Potential. It's written by Adam Grant. And he talks about the, like the three character, character skills uh, you can build to reach your full potential. And um, I think, I think these, these are great, uh, great skills that students can build as well. Um, and you know start early and the first one is being a sponge and being basically a lifelong learner Uh, you're not going to stop learning once you graduate or you shouldn't at least so you should continue with that mindset Um, you should take that in um, into like yeah lifelong (laughs) so just be a sponge Um, the only advice I would give here is to filter out you know, don't try to learn everything. Whatever you want to learn should be in line with, you know, where you're headed. Um, so map out where you want to go and, and learn things that will get you there rather than, I mean, I've, I've fallen victim to this before where I just want to learn everything, you know, um, just from design to, to coding uh, to project management, uh, jumping all over the place um, while it is deceiving because it, it it will you know it lets you know that okay i'm doing well but essentially it's unproductive because it's not leading you down that path that that you have for yourself so be be a sponge number 1 number 2 is learn to become an imperfectionist so don't always seek perfection right um sometimes good enough is good enough um just get it done and move on you know taking action uh, is is so important, you know. Moving on from the first step, where learning, learning is also very important. But if you learn, 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 and and just decide not to take action because you're you're afraid and it's not perfect yet, um, that that will slow you down. But those two, George, very very relevant for a lot of students to think about being a sponge and also to remove that idea of perfectionism. I think. It's very, very important for our generation, I think, nowadays, like in terms of how technology and TikTok, Instagram, 
the way it's shaping our minds, it can, can be quite dangerous. And a lot of students or young adults, I would say, are kind of trapped along that path of being addicted and not sure, oh, I see this online. I want to replicate that. I want to be like this person and do whatever they did to get there. But it's not that easy, the journey. They think it looks easy when just seeing the luxury life and uh, they went through all the challenges, but they don't know the hidden story. They don't know the challenges, or obstacles that were part of maybe their their story unless we interview them. So, um, And some people might become jealous and that causes thoughts to become your worrying thoughts or stressful thoughts to become actions in a bad way. In maybe the way you write a comment online, boom, people see it. You can go to jail or you can get reported. So there's a lot of danger around that side of things. But I think already sponge and that imperfect, uh, being a perfectionist, I think is very important for a lot of our audience and just the wider student network to think about. I think those are incredible to uh, be aware of. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, I did, I did, uh, recall the third one and that is be comfortable um you know seek seeking discomfort you have to seek discomfort um because growth happens outside of the comfort zone and we are in a comfort crisis uh everything comes easy now and you know for for you to reach your potential you really need to seek discomfort and that could come in many ways and we can go over some ways where someone can seek discomfort um, but I think that would be the, the third big, big tip here. I, I really agree with that third one because discomfort is, is so true. I think any, I, 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 there was a, I, there was, I had a one line in my head that kind of sums it up. It was, um, comfort zones are the enemy of progress. So avoid or operate outside of them. Um, and I think that's so true, right? That's where, that's where the growth is. And I saw on LinkedIn today, I, I forgot where I saw it, but it was a really beautiful um, illustration or, 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 or image which showed how you start um, at the uh, comfort zone and then you've got the fear zone and then you have, I think, the learning zone um, and then you have the growth zone and that's where you, that's where you experience all the benefits of having operated outside the comfort zone. So I think that was super important. But your points on being a sponge and what I call being a perpetual learner, someone that's constantly learning. One thing that you brought up that I think is super important is being able to focus your mind on, you know, a specific craft or skill rather than trying to, you know, put your, put your hands in everything. Because what happens then is you, you end up very much making things a lot more, as you said, everything becomes a lot more cluttered. Everything becomes, you don't specialize in one area. Um, you're trying to pick too many things at one at one shot. So finding what you are very good at and then going all in with that particular skill and then building up from there is super important. And I think imperfectionism is also super, super important. I think if we live in a day and age where everyone strives to go and be this specific figure with very high standards and benchmarks. But I don't think that's an ideal way to think mentally because that's just going to make you feel extremely, extremely uh, low, especially when you don't end up meeting those benchmarks and standards. I don't think there's anything that you should consider a benchmark and standard. As long as you put the effort and you do what you love, I think that's that's the solution to getting that clarity in your head and realizing that there is, there is no one that you need to compete with or there is no one you have to uh, compare yourself with in, in regards to benchmarks and standards because I don't think it exists. But I think everything that you talked about there, that, that understanding of the, um, of the physical health side, the nutrition, the diet and all that, to understanding this emotional and mental well-being is super important. And I think students should really take that into consideration. But I will pass it on to Harry now, who will go through the next two questions. Thank you very much, Naren. So far, it's been a fantastic discussion. Um, I want to look into this idea of sleep. So you already referred to it, George. Um, how sleep is so, so important for everyone. And we must factor that in to prioritize our well-being, health, etc. Um, and I think you are aware of the seven types of rest. And we were just wondering if you could just briefly explain, just maybe if you want to explain all seven, that's great in a very brief way. Otherwise, if you had to choose uh, maybe the most important types of rest for students to think about, um, what would they be? Because a lot of students are having this burden of work, 
they're trying to balance it with a part-time job. They're trying to become a like, competitive student and get the best marks. And it can be quite stressful at times. So just in a brief way, George, if you could list out some of those um, types of rest, what are the most important ones that students should consider? Yeah, so the seven types of rest, um, I think it was Dr. Dalton Smith's work um, in a book she wrote called Sacred Rest. And I, I first heard of the seven types of rest on her TED Talk, and I highly recommend um, all students to go watch it after listening to this. And what she, I, I mean, I have some ideas on which types of rest students would require more but I could be totally wrong. And I think it, it's very individualistic. And what she says in, in the video is that you should really go through and try to analyze which of these uh, types you're neglecting the most and then try to you know, introduce, uh, um, introduce more of these types of rest into your day-to-day. -day. And um, we can go through a rundown. Uh, we can go through quickly each, each type. And then uh, listeners can, can gauge maybe which, which ones they're, you know, uh, neglecting more. So physical rest, um, sleep, that's sleep. Um, but it, it's, it could be also more than sleep. It's like yoga, um, some stretching, you know, it's the type of rest you do for your body, right? And I think that should be top priority for students, <laughs> um, sleep, uh, physical rest. And then there's the mental type of rest, right? Um, and for that, you can, you know, give yourself, you know, a break. Uh, you could do that by practicing some mindfulness um, or indulge in a hobby, as we spoke about earlier. I think that that's really good for the mental uh, mental side of things. Emotional rest is another type. And I think students can work on that too, because, you know, you tend to contain your emotions, uh, especially when you're, when you're younger. Um, you, for some people, uh, you know, sharing and showing your emotions might, might seem like a weakness, but it really is not. Uh, so that is one aspect you can work on. Um, sensory rest is another, um, I mean, we talked, we talked a lot about the popcorn brain and all the screen time and all that. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think students can benefit here too. Um, sensory rest, I mean, a, a small tip could be simply just to close your eyes um, in the middle of a workday. You know, you're, you're on your laptop all day, right? Just close your eyes or look away, look out the window um, for a bit. And just get a bit of sensory rest. Uh, you, you, you don't want to be staring at screens all day. Um, there's also social rest. Um, again, you know, try to avoid toxic people and surround yourself with, with people who have just good vibes, really. Um, spiritual rest is, you know, when you connect with something that's just larger than, uh, than you know, what's around you, just whether that's faith or um, being involved in, you know, community. Um, yeah, just find a deeper purpose. And the last one is creative rest. So that could be just going on a walk in nature or just making some art, painting, doodling, um, journaling. Yeah, just getting creative, even playing video games or playing a board game with, with someone. And a lot of these, you know, as I say it, as I say them aloud, a lot of them could be done, you know, um, in tandem. So if you're hanging out with, with a good friend and you're both uh, having a good time and, you know, painting then you're you're getting two kinds of rest at the same time so it's not like black and white it's not just i'm gonna have some social rest today and i'm gonna have some creative rest tomorrow um, you could really blend these in so i think it's up to the person to to decide um, which type of rest they they need to prioritize um, in order to fully charge their batteries but i would say for students they should really prioritize their sleep um, you know, I know schedules can be messy, um, but if you think your schedule at university is messy, just wait until you, you, you're out of uni, right? 
Um, so do your best to go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time um, every day. I think that's the simplest, simplest way of looking at it. Uh, just have a bedtime, a consistent bedtime and a consistent wake up time um, and uh, you'll be fine. So I'll, I'll pass it now to you. Like what, what types of rest do you think you're missing or you're, you're neglecting the most? I think for me, it's that idea of um, creative rest, I think. Just, you know, within the day you have a full-time job and then it's already like 6, 6.30 p.m. And it's like, okay, dinner. I do exercise. I do the physical rest exercise every day. I try to do half an hour to an hour after work. I try my best. Um, but I think that creative rest, just more creative, more outside the box in terms of what else I can do. You mentioned about painting. I think that's fantastic. Even just listening to music and um, doing a bit of just uh, fictional reading if I can before bedtime. But it's just rare you know like i try to do it but then i have to wake up 6 a.m tomorrow and i'm just wondering i need to really get some sleep so that's something i'm really trying to pick up on especially like on the weekends like playing sport for my club cricket and a bit of golf or playing squash i really tried to get into that part so i'm mixing a bit of that creative side where we're doing something wacky and fun plus it's with the uh, physical side of things so you know for the body and for the mindset as well. Um, so I try my best in that term, but I think there's a lot of improvement that I need to try and reprioritize. Uh, can be tricky at times, depending on the day. Yeah. What about Naren? I think, oh, there were so many different categories there. I think my sleep, my sleep side of things is quite good. Um, I, would, I would argue, hmm, what would I say? Maybe the creative side of the stuff, the creative rest period I have aren't as what I want them to be because yeah similar to Harry I even though I don't have a full-time job my problem is by after 5 p.m I try to not indulge in any sort of work activity or just anything that uses my brain as much and creativity of course is takes up a lot of the the brain's uh energy and power so that's something I probably have to change because I could get, I could use that time for creative rest and really using it to do things like, for example, um, just jotting down my thoughts for how the day went in different aspects. I think that was something I had kind of lingering in the back of my head. Something I possibly want to do is at the end of each day, kind of just see what I what I enjoyed and then where I can improve. But yeah, I would also agree with Harry on that. Creative rest is something I've never even heard of that, George. So definitely need to make that more of a priority yeah and i would say naren maybe you are getting some of that creative rest without you knowing it you did mention that you know you're writing on linkedin um that that i mean that on a, in a, that by itself could be you know a form of creative rest um just thinking of ideas you want to write about um spending time you know going through the, the whole thought process of okay how am i going to say this how am i going to word this I, I think I think that that counts. Wow, it sounds so counterintuitive because when you say rest, and then when I think about the writing process, I mean, I was talking to you about this um, when we had that first call, and you talked about this idea of deep work, which we'll talk about in this episode. But deep work requires a lot of focus and attention, and so I feel like it requires a lot of brain power. And then here you're saying that my writing and that process of generating ideas and stuff is is part of this idea of rest, which I think is quite a revelatory insight for me. I've, I've never thought about, about it like that, but that's, that's great to know that writing is, you know, can be, can be a part of that rest period as well, or a form of rest. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think with the, with the, before we just get to the next question, because I was just wondering like with that rest, I think creative rest can be as George already highlighted that it's dependent on your circumstances and your hobbies and passions and what you want to do. So creativity could be however you like it, but maybe there is maybe, I would say there is maybe some effort involved in terms of how you imagine, how you write, how you think for some time. And maybe it might be easy for some people, um, maybe less easy for others. Um, and then when we think about more of the physical accept, uh, aspects, like such as sports, uh, getting involved in just your local sports club on the weekend, etc. Those things are also very important for like mindset, physical health, etc. And you can also change the way you play those games as well. Um, if you want to be really creative, bring in like a team aspect to it or change the mode of the game. Small things like that can 
probably help with uh, one's well-being as well. So you're having a bit of fun, trying out different ways of sports, etc. So I think that's a very, very important topic for a lot of students to be aware of. Um, but I know that we're coming short of time, so I want to make sure we nail as many of these beautiful questions we have for George. Um, I think the next one is more to do with conscious decision-making, and it's something referencing to James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. We talk about this idea of 1% every day leads to this compounding of 37 times better in the year. So the problem with students nowadays is they are unable to make the correct choices in their experience of life. They might make a choice that is turning into a loss rather than a gain. So they're losing maybe 1% rather than gaining 1% every day. So just from your experience, George, or who you've mentored or who you've maybe talked to, um, we just want to get your idea of what can students do to just be more mindful of the choices they make every day to see more gains in the long term of their life rather than just for a short period, and then it just reverses into a bunch of losses. What can students do to improve their decision-making to make sure they're actually getting those gains day by day or week by week, as you mentioned, tracking the progress rather than reversing that? So students listening to this right now are likely ones who care about their personal development. And often these same students love to learn and make changes um, to, to improve their life and, and, performance. So now what I'm going to say uh, took me years to learn and understand. And it might also seem counterintuitive given that, you know, we're here to talk about all these uh, simple to implement health promoting uh, protocols. But every positive change. So if, if I'm a top performer and I want to implement a bunch of the, like positive changes, um, it's important to understand that every positive change is still a stressor to our brain. So when we introduce a ton, like many changes at the same time, even if they're all positive, it will be very hard to maintain these changes. And then those could then turn into losses, right? Because we're not maintaining them. And then we could even get overwhelmed to the point where, you know, you decide I'm never going to do this again. Um, so that could hurt us in, in, in the long run. Um, so the way I, I try to look at it, um, and this is backed by research, it's it's kind of like trying to juggle too many balls at once. Eventually, it's going to get overwhelming and you're going to drop all of them. So my advice is to start small, really. Just pick one change or two change that is likely to most impact your life um, in a positive way and stick with it. You know, these are the changes that will continuously get you that that 1%. And I I, I love the number one, like just 1% because it... Like, you don't want to try too hard, right? It wasn't 5%. So start small, really. It could be, like, if you want to get fit, right? Just start small. It could be a five-minute, um, you know, hit workout in the morning. Make it a non-negotiable and make it a single change. You work with it. Um, you start the routine. You build it into a habit. When Once that comfort zone um that comfort zone, uh, once the habit becomes part of your comfort zone, then you know it is time to introduce a new change, um, something that is going to help you grow, right? Something that's going to be challenging, something you're going to have to uh, consistently do again and then build up from a routine to a habit um, and, and, and off you go. And I think this is the best way to look at it. The, the, the rule of two um, it's very important. I think it's called the resilience rule of two. And uh, Dr. Aditi, who's a, who's a physician, um, I think at Boston or Harvard, um, talked about it recently and in a podcast I listened to on the Diary of a CEO. So, yeah, you don't want to overwhelm yourself with too many changes, I think. And now going back to the mindful aspect, right? What, which change um, or choices um, as a student, I want to take. Uh, that would really depend on, you know, your goals and where you want to go. Um, and I think, you know, I like to focus on the health aspect and, and all these, these, you know, different aspects we talked about, like um, your physical environment, um, your, you know, activity, physical activity, nutrition, and so on. So I would start with two, right? And you know, there's an exercise you can you can go through. You can even rewind and go through all the things we discussed. 
and try to see which areas you would benefit the most from, like from introducing a, a change, right? And then you need to really tie that into your vision and connect emotionally to it. I think that is also something we, we avoid. But if you connect emotionally to it, then you're more likely to, to, to do it and continue doing it. So maybe we can use one of you as an example. <laughs> which, uh, which aspects of your health would you, would you like to focus on the most right now? And then we can go from there and choose like a change um, and we, we, can, we can tackle it that way. Hmm. Maybe uh, the internal like mindset, maybe in that, that aspect, mindset, like an internal welding, okay. like an external so like physical. Mental. Let, let's say um, you want to read about, you know, healthy mindset. This is a simple example. Then, right, instead of saying I'm going to read 30 minutes a day, uh, 30 minutes every day, you know, uh, start so small and, and stack that habit. I mean, James Clear, was his work is just, I mean, incredible. And he talks a lot about habit stacking. Um, so, yeah, just let's say every day you have a routine where you, you sit on your porch and you have a cup of coffee. So while you're drinking that cup of coffee, let's say it takes five minutes, just read for five minutes while you're doing that, you know? Or, or while the coffee's brewing, um, just pick up your, your book and, and read for five minutes. It doesn't have to be big. That's the whole point I'm trying to say. Just start really small and make that a non-negotiable. Um, and it becomes part of your identity very quickly. You know, habits take time to build. Some, some say three weeks, some say six weeks, some say three months. But um, if you start small, then you have a much high, higher chance of, of succeeding. You're so right, George, because um, with those atomic habits starting really, really, really small and trying to have maybe like a reward system, like if I read five pages or if I read for five minutes while the coffee is brewing, I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to be happy that I actually did it. And you can maybe track that right, writing it down. I read this book five pages and I learned about maybe one sentence summary just to test your understanding what you read. And if you undergo that idea of consistency, you're kind of building um, this level of momentum to be like, I'm actually doing this. It's been 30 days. You're tracking it. It feels really good. I feel like we're all humans and we all have that satisfaction that go through our mind. And we're like, I actually did it. I went through the challenge. Now let's take it up a notch from, let's say five pages to 10 slowly like that, like a building blocks, you know? So I really like that idea, George. And I think, as you said, James Clear, one of the best authors ever producing one of the best books ever relevant for pretty much anyone. I think for any age bracket, it's really important to learn uh, those that way of habit formulation. So really, really exciting, really, really interesting co content that we're talking about. Um, now I just want to quickly pass it over to Naren, who will now focus back on the idea of deep work that we briefly mentioned before. Take it away, Naren. Thank you, Harry. Yeah, this idea of deep work, I think our listeners will be familiar, and George will be familiar with the name of Cal Newport, um, wrote a brilliant book on deep work that was what it was titled and it's 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 crazy to think that multitasking is still glorified to be something that we should be doing i mean you of course stress the importance of deep work um you've talked about it before on linkedin um and, and so it's for those who aren't familiar with this concept it's I, I've, I've summed it up with one sentence it's i think it's the ability to be in a flow state which we've talked about before without distractions in order to produce some quality outputs. You're doing more with less, right? Your inputs are less, but the, what you produce and what you publish is a lot more. So I wanted to ask you, George, first of all, how do you go about incorporating deep work? Because this conversation we're having more focuses on George's ideas from the well-being and productivity aspect, but something we haven't mentioned is his background in tech. So he has a full-time role in a tech role. Um, and I was curious to know about how you go about deep work in your life. And then how do you think students can shift from this multitasking approach, which a lot of them do, mm -hmm. to a deep work approach um, in order to optimize their productivity and creativity? Well, I want to start by saying when, when someone tells you as a student that you're a terrible multitasker, just take it as a compliment and, and thank them. <laughs> really, that's what I do now. <laughs> I can't do two things at the same time. And I've, uh, I've learned to be proud of it. 
Um, but yeah, deep work. So I, I wish I, I wish that book was released back when I was in university. Really, I think it was a, I mean, one of the most profound books I've, I've uh, read and applied. I think it was very easy to to apply it after. Well, not easy. Simple, but not easy. Uh, it comes with a lot of challenges. Um, but yeah, so the way I approach deep work, uh, and I do this pretty much every morning, I, I tend to schedule my deep work sessions in the morning. I focus better that way. Everyone's different though. And I like to start with a clean slate. So I do restart my computer. And I find that to be so powerful because, you know, even on, I, I use Mac and it, it tells you, do you want to reopen all the, all the apps and, and uh, browsers and whatever? And I, I deselect that. So start from a clean slate altogether. And I pre-plan the session the night before. So whenever I, I have a shutdown ritual, which Cal Newport talks about in the book, uh, and, and during that shutdown ritual, I, I go through a reflection exercise and I select, you know, what I want to work on the next day. Um, and having that, you know, having that set the day before uh, really speeds up my, my morning and it gets me straight, like jumping straight into work. The second, you know, the time block, like 9 a.m. hits, I know what I'm going to be working on. And I already restarted my laptop. And I know what tools I'm going to use. I try to limit them as much as possible. What tools I'm going to use to get that done. And, you know, deep work, it could be, you know, focusing uh, on, you know, a very, a single high impact task. Some other, some other times you might want to batch tasks that are very similar to each other um, together and work on them. Uh, I typically focus on a single thing, right? Um, and as, uh, as I said, it's a, it's a predetermined also toolbox. So let's say I'm writing a research paper as a student. Um, and, oh, one, one thing, when you define that task, it's much better to use a verb rather than a noun. So don't just say, I'm going to, you know, research paper, specify exactly what you're going to do. Let's say on like to, in today's session. I'm going to read um, these other five research papers to get me prepared. Or I'm going to summarize this thing. Or I'm going to be very specific and, and make it actionable. So start with a verb. Like, um, so then, when I start the session, I'm limited to, these, to, to this toolbox. And um, I like to listen to some music. Uh, there's, a, there's an app I really like. Um, that is included in the toolbox. So you have control on what you can add and, and remove from this toolbox. It's called brain.fm. Uh, I'm not affiliated with them, but I, I really like it. They use AI um, for uh, just like to keep you in the zone. They have different modes, a focus mode, uh, a creative mode, and a sleep or meditation mode. I put on the focus mode and I just start working. Now to... To limit distractions, uh, I did have to train myself, and, and I know I can't rely on my willpower alone. That's why I do the restart of the machine. Um, but there are so many apps you can use as well. There's apps that can block certain websites. They could just block certain apps. Uh, the Do Not Disturb uh, feature is, is also really good. I mean, it hides all your notifications. It won't buzz. I've also turned my phone into a dumb phone <laughs> and this is, it's, it's been three days, but it's been very, very good, very impactful. So that's how my phone looks now. And this subtle change of, you know, not having just these, these square apps um, and having like, you know, it, it's harder to pinpoint what I want and what I want to click on. And this is all I see. Um, yeah, that's another tip is, is very exciting. But it took time to build to this. So, yeah, I'm, I, another piece of advice is to start small. You know, it, it, it's something you're not used to. So don't be too hard on yourself. Don't, don't begin with a three-hour deep work session. Start small. Start with 30 minutes. Uh, build up to it. And uh, I, I think you'll, you'll quickly see um, 
all the benefits that can come with it and how much work you can do and in much less time i think it's who wouldn't want that right exactly man that, that that is so true like that whole book and everything you've just talked about it's absolutely it's, like, it's, it's it's so much advice and value like that the two books we've talked about so far and the ones you've recommended as well but atomic habits and deep work if you combine those two together i swear you will be unstoppable and the things you could do is incredible i think it, when you read cal newport's book he talks about how he does like four hour five hour sessions and as George has said, you don't start there. You have to start from those smaller steps, right? We take baby steps. I think a big reoccurring theme in this entire episode is the idea of taking small steps, building momentum, like a pendulum, right? You, you hit it once, it knocks, it comes back, it knocks, right? So just like that, you need to take stepping stones with this approach of deep work or really anything you do. Um, and a, a great reminder for the shutdown ritual. This is something that I have to get better at. It's something I read about and now you've just sparked it in my head again. It's something that I think a lot of students should develop because as George has pointed out, being prepared for the next day is super important. Going in with the idea that you you know what you're going to do is super important. And I think um, and another, one of my favorite LinkedIn voices is a guy called Ner Isle who wrote a book called Indistractable. And in there he talks about this idea of time blocking and so pairing time blocking with what George has talked about is super, super powerful because you create a calendar where you know what you're going to do. And then you have the shutdown ritual that, of course, allows you to declutter and understand, OK, I'm going in tomorrow with this, these actionables and this is what I'm going to get done. Um, so deep work, I think what you've talked about is very, 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 very important. I would recommend all our listeners to get your hands on that book because it's it's an absolute game changer. And as George summed very nicely, you get more done with less. And that, that's the goal. Um, I'll quickly move on to uh, my next question, which is on this idea of stress. And I read a great book by an Australian author called uh, Paul Taylor. He wrote an, uh, an amazing book called Death by Comfort. And in that book, he talks about how peak performance or high performance requires some exposure to stress um, where something isn't too hard or neither too easy. So it follows uh, what I call the Goldilocks principle, which you guys might be familiar with, but it's that idea of trying to just get it right. So with that in mind, um, I think managing stress, especially among students, you know, they're balancing so much with extracurriculars, trying to, as Harry said, trying to strive for really good academics. Um, it seems quite difficult without any proper guidance or tools, especially you know, reading books and resources and articles is great, but I think talking to someone about this is is more better way of doing it. Um, so, how can students cultivate mindful awareness to better navigate stress and prevent burnout? I'm always gonna advocate for a consistent mindfulness practice. Being a mindfulness facilitator myself, right? Um, and again, that that doesn't mean you have to sit on a meditation cushion for two hours daily, um, you know, to, to get there. Um, it could be, it, you could start very, very small. Um, and just maybe, um, I want to, I would like to define mindfulness, uh, because I think a lot of people don't really grasp the idea of it. And, um, I love John Kabat-Zinn's definition and it's, he says it, mindfulness is paying attention in a particular way on purpose, in the present moment, and without judgment. Now, if we remove the without judgment part, it's everything we've been talking about when it comes to deep work as well, right? It's paying attention on purpose in a specific way and in the present moment. And, and this is what we do when we're doing a deep work session. So, um, and I think it's also important to point out when it comes to stress and uh, having a consistent mindfulness practice, it's not going to remove the stress. It's not really going to reduce it. Stress is all around us, right? But it helps us build resilience against stress. So even if it's not reduced or magically it disappears, um, it's going to help us. It's going to help you, you know, shield yourself from the negative impacts of stress. It's going to help you manage it a lot better. So my, my go-to would always be um, have a consistent mindfulness practice, even if that's just five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day. There are a ton of you know, free apps online or YouTube videos 
um, that you could you could use. Um, but for students, I want to highlight one thing that that has helped me a lot recently, and it's how you can manage your stuff your stress in real time. So like instantly, and it's called the physiological sigh. And I first heard about it on on the Huberman Lab podcast, another podcast I highly recommend. And um, this is backed by science. So so I'm going to just demonstrate how it's done. And you can do this anywhere without anyone even noticing. Very simple. You take two inhales through the nose and you follow it with, with a long inhale through the mouth. So almost like a sigh. Um, it could be a silent one. So you just go for a second inhale and then you release it as a sigh, right? Exhale all the way through. And this works by offloading a large amount of carbon dioxide. And it could be as simple as doing one, you know, to reduce your stress. So I, I love that. I've been using it, you know, a lot in my day to day. And I think it's a very, you know, low bar. Anyone can do it anywhere, anytime. Um, but yeah, there are, there are many other ways. I have a cheat sheet um, that I posted and people, a lot of people resonated with. I can share it with you guys afterwards. It's like a cheat sheet for stress reduction. And I think students can really benefit from it. Yes, please do share that because I think that will be such a valuable resource for our students. And I think a big takeaway from that question and what George is talking about is stress. I feel as though is inevitable. It's part of growing. It's part of, you know, your day to day. Um, so being able to manage it, being able to understand it, for example, the, the breathing technique George talked about. And I think George also introduced the idea of uh, Andrew Hoberman. He's a great person and neuroscientist to listen to as well in, in managing that stress. But yeah, please do share that resource with us. We'll be more than happy to share it with our wonderful audience. Thanks, Naren, for what you've been discussing regarding um, peak performance, talking about also talking about student goals. And um, I wanted to kind of talk about this idea of writing and we're very familiar with what George has been producing on LinkedIn, a lot to do with building a healthy lifestyle and just really trying to optimize one's well-being every single day. So we have a lot of students and we have a lot of ambitious people who want to try and become a writer, try and become consistent with writing. And um, a lot of people might be doing just reflective writing through by the end of the week, reflect on what went well, what they can improve in, missed out on some opportunities that they might be regretting write them down and then maybe can discuss that with a counselor or mentor. Um, and also some people just like to do uh, journaling. I like to do a monthly journal myself, just to journal what's been happening throughout the month, ups and downs. But I just wanted to quickly get your idea on just some of the prompts or techniques that have best helped you, George, to be consistent in your writing. Can you just share maybe a few techniques or ideas or prompts that can help fellow students who maybe are keen to start writing online or blogging for the first time, but they're just not sure where to start. Can you help them just maybe come up with maybe a few techniques or prompts that have helped you, George? Yeah. Um, there's a quote I want to share uh, that um, I live by and I, I find to be profound. And it was, it's attributed to an American, uh, I think, philosopher, or educational reformer. His name is John Dewey. Um, and it's, we do not learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. Powerful, powerful stuff. So reflections come in, in many sizes, you know, forms and shapes. It doesn't also have to be writing. Um, so I'm glad you bring, bring that up. Um, and I like to, I know I'm jumping a bit off topic, but when it comes to reflecting and, and you know, you mentioned the monthly journal and the end of the week, uh, I think students, I mean, I did neglect it as a student. I think students can, can uh, start that way when it comes to writing, reflecting on, you know, group projects. Uh, how did the presentation go? Um, and it could be as simple as three questions, right? What went well? Uh, what didn't work? And what can be improved? And we use that even in the tech world, right? We, in, in our scrum meetings, uh, we have a, uh, session, you know, after every sprint, where we go over these three questions, and I think it's it's powerful, and you could you could start anywhere. That could be also your deep work session, right? You could you could after completion, you can go through these three questions, um, write them down, 
start that way. But if you want to build a writing habit, uh, I would suggest um, to avoid, you know, just sitting there staring at a blank cursor, a blank screen. Uh, build that, build that, um, um, build that curiosity to to capture ideas, uh, you know, throughout the day. And this is what I do. So when I'm when I'm out, even when I'm out for on a mindful walk without my phone or anything, I'm just capturing things, uh, capturing ideas. And later on, I would just jot them down um, in like a second brain or like a note uh, somewhere on my laptop or on my phone, and come back to it. So have like a bank of ideas, uh, because if you just wanna sit down to write something and have no plan. Uh, it's going to be very demotivating and it's going to slowly, yeah, it's going to stop you from, from pursuing that. Um, again, you start small, like we said <laughs> many times in this podcast. So set a timer, you know, just write down your thoughts for 15 minutes and build the habit from there. It's all about just getting started, I guess. You know, you know how we spend so much time thinking, oh, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And it's been maybe five years and you missed out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're so right. Just trying to start small again. We're coming back to this idea of really starting small and really trying to get started on something rather than thinking about it for too long or dwelling about something that might not have gone as expected because you had all this plan written out and just like not didn't come out as expected. But I think it's just important to iterate after iterate, like get the feedback go through what went well, what didn't go so well, so you know what to do next time. And I think it's just about progression. Like we've all kind of started as a baby in terms of a particular topic we're aware of or we try and educate ourselves through ongoing learning, but we all become really specialized in something. Like for example, you, George, kind of being really, really specialized in health and well-being and being able to share that with your fellow followers and prospective followers on LinkedIn who are keen to follow and see what George is up to. I think that's fantastic. I think it must have started from somewhere at the very beginning. If we go back to day one, how it all began, it will probably be a very interesting journey to hear about. But um, it's been it's been amazing to figure out how you've taken those small steps, build it over time, and you're very, very consistent through your posting and your uh, awareness of the topic. So really, really great to see. So we'll dive into the rapid three that we've been talking about previously and we've mentioned this for previous guests as well everyone has different answers for the exact same question so we're keen to hear what you have for us george um with the first question what is the best life lesson you've ever learned that has actually developed your well-being and your perception of life to feel better every day growth happens outside of the comfort zone and we've touched upon it earlier so fantastic fantastic yeah that is so, so important. Something for us to keep in our minds every day. Thank you for sharing that. Again, I think that's so, so important. With the second question, what does success mean to you? Success is autonomy, um, the freedom to pursue my passions and interests, and to have fun along the journey. I like that. I like that. Having fun along the journey, pursue your passions. Incredible. I hope everyone on this planet are able to do that or try and get to that level where they can, you know, reach that goal um, of autonomy. I think that's really, really important. And with the last question, we want to break it down just to one book, the all time great book that has helped create a better version for yourself, George. And this is the book that you want to take with you on holiday. If you're trapped on an island, you're somewhere, but you need this book. What would that one book be that students can get their hands on? Oof, that's a tough one. <laughs> for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to go for a book titled The 5am Club, written by Robin Sharma. Mm-hmm. It, um, it's, it, it has so many nuggets of wisdom um, beyond, you know, just how to wake up at 5am and, and be an early riser. And I think a, a lot of the students... Uh, would benefit a lot from the content in that book and the the tools and the protocols mentioned in there. That's a great, that's a great recommendation. I think a lot of students can take a lot of golden nuggets from that. Um, And 
you know, it's part of that well-being topic as well. I think that's fantastic. And it is very difficult to wake up early morning. But again, we can start small. Let's go maybe 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. Slowly bring it back. (laughs) Bring it back to maybe 5.35. And I think it's just about that journey or that progression rather than the destination. I think we all feel proud about the progress we're making rather than the final outcome. So I think Robin Sharma, fantastic author, personal development coach. I really, really admire his work. Great recommendation. But I think overall, George, this has been a brilliant episode. Really thankful for your time and effort in today's episode. We wish you all the very best and we're keen to stay in touch. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series. We hope you have taken some key insights that can help activate your personal growth and maximize your potential. Please share this with others who may be interested and review this episode if you found it to be useful. Follow us on LinkedIn by typing in Brightness Unleashed in the search bar to stay updated with future content. Thank you and have a great day.